the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Today, we are going to continue the discussion with something that we finished our last uh, episode on, which is the Carpin dating. With me here in studio, of course, to unpack all of that for us, our dear brother, Dr. Jay Smith. Dr. Jay, thank you so much, as always, for all of your contribution uh, and all of your amazing work and for really taking the time with me to analyze this, uh, uh, in my humble view, uh, great, uh, really, publication by a scholar, at least for, for once, uh, we are starting to see some actual academic work that have some collaborating uh, collaborating evidence of what we've been talking about concerning the origin of the Quran and Islam in general. Yeah, and this is the difficulty that we're having, and that is how do you date manuscripts? Everybody wants manuscripts dated. They want to know, is it the Shwali, the Noldeki Shwali paradigm, which suggests that the Quran was created uh, with Uthman, and that's the Islamic narrative, the standard Islamic narrative. We've always started from that premise. Noldek and Shwali were the ones that really pushed that. Or is it the new paradigm, the new category that uh, that Shoemaker is really standing behind in his book? Is it uh, that the Quran comes really from Abdul Malik and Al-Hajjaj? which would be beginning of the 8th century. So we're arguing from those two different premises. On right. one hand, you have 652 Uthmanic narrative, and the other one you have 705 8th century narrative. Right. We're going for the 8th century narrative, and that's what Schumacher is pushing. And so obviously the dating is very important. These are the dates we're talking about. Radiocarbon comes into play, and that's what we ended with. We wanted to talk about radiocarbon dating, but how accurate is it? Can you tell our audience, what do we mean by radiocarbon? Well, it, uh, it's looking at the, the, the breakdown of the carbon when the animal dies. Now, what do I mean? These are goats, these are sheep, these are deer. These manuscripts are no longer written. They don't need to be written on papyrus like our biblical manuscripts, the New Testament Greek manuscripts. Papyri are those interlocking leaves that uh, made out of papyrus tree, uh, not tree, the, the, the plant, uh, which disintegrates after about 100 years. They, they're leaves, and so they get dry and they crinkle. Skins don't, but the, that's why manuscripts such as parchment or vellum are made out of these animal skins. The difficulty is animal skins cost an awful lot of money. Because you've got to not only cure the skin, then you've got to scrape off the hair and all the rest. And it takes mm -hmm. an awful lot of time. Mm -hmm. Only very wealthy people can use 
parchment or vellum. So someone like a caliph would have access to this kind of material. Uh, someone like a king uh, or, or an emperor, Constantine, for the biblical manuscripts. That's why you get the Greek manuscripts, the Sinaiticus, possibly the, uh, the Vaticanus, or probably, possibly two of the 50 that he commissioned uh, for the Council of Nicaea right. in the 4th century. Why? Because he was wealthy. So you can only have a wealthy person because and once one manuscript may take up to 50 to 55 different goats or deer. So we're talking about the breakdown of the parchment of the deer skin. We're not talking about the ink. Exactly. I was going to say you're dating the skin, but not the ink, which means, uh, Dr. J, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can date the, uh, the skin and the skin could be old, but the ink could be much newer. Always the skin comes before uh, before the ink. People tend to forget that. And what tends to happen is you have large collections of these skins, and they're kept mostly in monasteries. So these are mostly our Christian manuscripts. The Muslims really weren't into this. They hadn't really... Remember, the script in the 7th century, the Arabic script, as we're going to find out, the Arabic script was very crude. They didn't have Arabic scripts. When Abdul Malik came to power, they didn't have, they didn't have any, a lot of people that wrote things because you only had 16 letters at that time. Uh, they, they didn't even have the dots or the vowels that the five, the five dots or the, the three vowels that then became into play in the 8th century. So there would be no reason to write large uh, manuscripts. And because of that, almost all of the manuscripts in the seventh century were housed in monasteries for mostly for monks to write biblical texts or to write liturgy or to write uh, lectionaries or to write hymns. And those were all been done in Aramaic, which was well used. Aramaic was used. And so we have lots of manuscripts from fourth, fifth, sixth, up until the seventh century. We have St. Ephraim's poems that are written from the fourth century. Those are on manuscripts. But now we're in the seventh century. Now we're no longer in the Byzantine world where the manuscripts are being used. We're away over in the east. And we're in what is today would be called Syria or Jordan or Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Or Iraq further to, to the east. So those are the countries and we're not, no one's even suggesting that this is down in the Hejaz. We're not talking about central Arabia. There was nothing down there. As we're going to see in subsequent, uh, right. uh, videos, there is nobody down that far that even writes. They don't, they're not even literate down there. So we're talking about the north and we're talking about cities because that's where the, the literate people would be. And the literate people at that time all would have read Aramaic or Greek mm-hmm. or Hebrew, but not Arabic. Arabic was yet to be written down. So that's why there's no manuscripts written in Arabic. That's why we're going to see it makes no sense for someone called Uthman way down in Medina writing huge manuscripts. <laughs> there's, there, there, there are these cities that, they, this, as we're going to see later on, these cities uh, like Yathrib only had about 100 to 200 people living in them and no Jews or no Christians that far south. So no manuscripts. So we're talking way up north. We're talking Damascus, really what we're talking about. And that's exactly where Abdul Malik lived. He was the caliph there in Damascus. And he is the one that is commissioning these manuscripts. Where is he going to get the parchment from? 
not from other Arab sources, because there had been no reason. Up to this time, there really had been no reason to write large manuscripts. So he's going to have to get them from the Christians. And the Christians have these in their monasteries, in places like Damascus, in places like Petra, in places like Jerusalem, in places like Stesiphon, uh, which later became what is today known as Baghdad. These are the big metropolises where these treasure troves of parchment would lay. And sometimes those parchments have been there for decades. They could even be there for a hundred years. However, nothing's written on them because they're clean and they keep them in boxes so that they keep them from rats and from anything to uh, eating them or gnats or uh, any types of bugs. Now, here is the difficulty. If you're going to date them using radiocarbon dating, that's only dates uh, the deterioration of the skin itself. Of the animal. Of the animal animal skin. Whether it's deer whether it's goat, whether it's sheep. People don't realize that. And they see the manuscript and they say, aha, this is the date because we know this is when the, this is when the radiocarbon dating, even the radiocarbon dating, as we're going to see, it's very inexact. In, those, in the 7th century, they're giving you about a 100-year span. So I, what I would like to do is just look at one example. And one, one, what we can do is actually go to that example because what Shoemaker is doing, he actually gives an example of one scholar. His name is, is Van Putin or Van Putten. I don't know how to pronounce his I, name. I think it's Van Putin. Uh, we want to do a teaser now because we're almost out of time. And then when we come back in the next one, we unpack more in depth. But because give a teaser. he actually yeah. does believe in the adequacy or the efficacy of radiocarbon dating. And he goes and does makes a fallacy here. But what fallacy does he make? We're going to show you the fallacy he makes. But I'm going to let Shoemaker talk because Shoemaker explains it much better than I could explain it. Wonderful. So, um, you know, for the sake of uh, uh, our um, viewers here, what we're talking about is the dating of any manuscript, really, for that matter, but specifically the dating of Quranic manuscripts. And what Dr. J was saying is that even when you take those dates seriously, you still have about a century of range, at least. You, you will see now uh, in, uh, you know, constant. Well, let, let, in, let me just uh, give you real quickly. The future episodes the, that the uh, range is even larger sometimes. Look at, than look at the century. Birmingham Folio. We already did the Birmingham yeah. Folio. Remember the dates yeah. we got 568 to 645. 560, that's almost 80 years distance. And of course, most people went with the 645. You're supposed to take the median between those two. It'll be around 610. Really is probably the best part of the date if you're going to use such a large uh, large span. Why wouldn't they take the median? Because it can create problem when you try Why? to because line up the traditional exactly. Islamic dates. Because 610 that. is about the time that Muhammad is just receiving his revelation. Right. You can't have that as a date. But again, what is the problem with that? That is the date of the deter start of the deterioration of right. the animal skin, not the writing, not yeah. the not the picture. Let me say one thing before we go. Sure. The reason why you don't date the ink is this. The I was just going to say that. Go ahead. Is yeah, the yeah. pigment. What to, in order to make ink, you get a bit of pigment here, you get a bit of pigment here, you get from different berries from all over the world, and you melange them, you mix right. them up. Once you mix them up, you, there's no way you can date it because of the fact that they come from all over the world from many different time periods and many different geographical locations. Because it's geographical locations, they are, they can, it's impossible to date them. That's why you don't date them. But there is a different way to try to date the writing, the polygraphy. Ah, yeah. The style of writing, exactly. that's what you're talking about. Orthography, yeah. that's what, and that's why De Roche, we're going to see François De Roche comes against what Van Buten's saying because of that very problem.
Exactly. Thank you so much. And hopefully everybody is tracking with us now. So even if you try to do your best to date a manuscript, you're still dating the skin, not the ink. And that's a big difference because the skin could be 100 years old and they rewrote on it like we have a palimpsest example. Sometimes you wipe it off and you write on it again. Or the skin of the animal is dated one date and the ink, if we are successful in the future to find a way to date it, would have been written at a later time. So don't basically celebrate and get excited over the date of a manuscript because you're celebrating basically the date of the animal skin itself, not the writing as we know it. Thank you, Dr. J. So when we come back, I I, uh, assume we are going to now show what Shoemaker is saying about this. And maybe he is... He's uh, going to use Van Putin as an example. As an example, exactly. And we will see even what Darush uh, is, is saying about the process itself again. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Until next episode, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for Sira International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to sirainternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. So, what's going on with the carbon dating when it comes to how Shoemaker looks at it? Now, Shoemaker, fascinating, and I think this is why he's so helpful. He not only... Uh, shows us the difficulties with carbon dating. He sh- he comes up and he says, hold on a minute. There are certain scholars who uh, you might say have stood behind carbon dating to give to give the, the analysis or the conclusions they come to in their own research. And one of the ones he brings up is the, the you know him. Uh, he's well known. His name is Van Putin. Uh, he is lives here in the United States. And he says this. Uh, he uses radiocarbon dating 14, and he believes it's so accurate that we can use it, he says, to determine the archetype of all Qurans. So he goes to it because it's scientific. It is something that uh, everybody can agree upon, though the dates are as widespread. As we said in the last episode, he uses it to pretty much stipulate that almost all of the earliest manuscripts uh, are from the time of Uthman, 652, thereabouts. Uh, we saw for the dates, 560. Yeah, he's a big advocate of the Quranic tradition. And he's a very big ad, uh, advocate of trusting the dating on these uh, on this carbon dating. So let me show you what Shoemaker says. I'm just going to quote him a few quotes from his book. Uh, there on page 70, he says that, well, actually, let's go to one. Let's go to one on page seven where he says that Van Putin mistakes the radiocarbon dates for bare facts. In his article, Shoemaker continues, Van Putin examines 14 Quranic manuscripts and determines, based on the form of a particular word, that they all derive from a common written archetype. Fair enough, Shoemaker says. He then assumes that the standard must have been established under Uthman, citing that radiocarbon dating of certain manuscripts, like the Birmingham Folio or the Tubican Manuscript, which we're going to talk about later, or the Sana'a Manuscript. Those are the three main ones that he goes to. We're going to unpack each one of them uh, as solid evidence of this fact. 
the two manuscripts whose radiocarbon dates he loves to cite, the Tubigen Quran and the MS Kaf 47 from Cairo, which is the Kyrene manuscript. Yeah, oh, by the way, both of them don't have the full Quran anyway. Interestingly, we're going to yeah. get that when we unpack yeah. them. I think we already talked about them earlier in a previous episode. Yeah. But nonetheless, he still stipulates that regardless, these are Uthmanic because the radium carbon dating uh, cons- uh, supports that. In, ver- in page 70, Schumacher goes on and says, radiocarbon dating is not entirely accurate for dating early Qurans, at least not within a range narrower than a century or two. See the wide breadth that we're talking about. Indeed, scholars of the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is the biblical manuscripts that they found, the the Old Testament there in Qumran community, faced very similar difficulties when trying to radiocarbon date documents from that collection. Now, what Shoemaker doesn't say, and what I'll say real quickly is, the biggest problem they had with the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is in the same part of the world we're looking at, we're talking about the Middle East, we're talking a very, a very dry environment what Shoemaker does go on to say later, and what many scholars know, is that radiocarbon dating has to have a scale. And there are two scales that are used in radiocarbon dating. One scale is from California in the United States, and the other one is from the Far East over in Japan. Both of which are not the same, they do not have the same carbon footprint that you would find in a much drier climate like the Middle East, like where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, right. or where these manuscripts are. Now, remember, these manuscripts that we're going to talk about, the Tubigen, uh, the uh, the Sana manuscript, the Kyrene manuscript, the Birmingham folios, the two folios that most that look, most scholars now believe come from the Petropolitanus manuscript, which is in which is in, uh, in, in Paris. These manuscripts were all controlled by the Ottomans. And from 1299 up until 1924... So you're talking about almost 600 years. These manuscripts were under their auspices, which means they would have been housed in places in Turkey, completely different than California or Japan. So even that carbon dating footprint, the the scale or how fast that deteriorate would be different. No one has put the scale together from that part of the world, which you need to do. Nonetheless, using that scale, you can then see why many scholars are now in doubt. And this is what he's talking about. Doroche comes into this whole... Francois Doroche, who's who's a scholar, who's an authority when it comes to paleography, for instance. Explain paleography so people know what you're talking about. Basically, you look at the style of writing, yeah. and uh, he, he really did an excellent job. He wrote on that. He has his own document, technically speaking, uh, about, the, for, uh, for instance, the uh, Abbasid tradition and so on and so forth. You look at uh, certain letters in the manuscripts, and he come up, uh, comes up with the idea of how you can determine if it was a one scribe, two scribes, three scribes. He gives him uh, kind of like a categories and so on and so forth. By looking at those, you can determine the style of writing, if it is Kufic, Hijazi, whatever it is, yeah. early Hijazi, late Hijazi, and possibly where it would have been written, and the date, average date for that. He goes on and he does, he looks at decoration. Paleography does yeah. orthographic stylization that you're talking about, the style of writing, but also the, the dots, the dots. We know when the dots were added. We know when they were canonized. We know when they were being played around with. We know that the earliest dots uh, were not really dots. They were actually vowels on the top copy. You see that the three dots. The orthography and the paleography, both of them combined. Uh, combined. And that's that. why he yeah. says this is more accurate. Sometimes yeah. they, they have decorations between surahs. Those decorations are taken from buildings. We know when those buildings were built. And that's why they were put there to, to ascribe that this is the, uh, to give credit 
to the building that they were housed in. And so that's why paleography is, comes comes from a completely different standpoint than carbon dating. And this is what DeRoche says when he looks at carbon dating. He says the results of carbon 14, uh, radiocarbon 14 analysis are quite valuable as a first indication of the age of the copies. But their accuracy is insufficient when it comes to arranging the material within a period which lasted less than a century. And that's the difficulty. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a whole century here. And you need a, I mean, Van Putin and others say, well, they're 95% accuracy or 95% uh, with this part of the bell curve. They're not looking at other, they're not looking at the two extremes. And usually when we talk to Muslims, they always stick the latest date, the most recent date, which is not what you're supposed to do if you're looking at the bell curve context. So this is how, this is how Shoemaker then concludes. And he says, these radiocarbon dates cannot do for his argument what he assumes. He, he's talking about Van Putin here. So he's referring to Van Putin. If one were to date some of these texts a little later than their radiocarbon dating, which in fact seems more accurate, in other words, taking the later dates, not the earlier dates, then one has clear evidence instead for an archetype produced under the auspice of Abdul Malik and Al-Hajjaj, which is what Shoemaker is arguing for. He's always argued for this. So he would say really that radiocarbon dating support his thesis, not the Noldekishwali thesis, which is Van Putin's trying to support. Mm-hmm. The Noldekishwali is Uthmanic. Van Putin is trying to support that. So as they clearly seem to be, he goes on and says, as they clearly seem to be more recent than their published radiocarbon dates would indicate. This is particularly the case with the Tubigid Quran. That's where we're going to spend a little bit more time on the Tubigid Quran uh, yet, which contains folios with a significantly later carbon-14 dating. Therefore, Shoemaker continues, what Van Putin's article appears to demonstrate is that all these early Qurans derive from a single written archetype. And the article, by the way, is about the mercy of God uh, or Rahmatullah. That, that's, that's the word Rahma. That's what he used to try to trace the word, how it was written with an open ta or a closed ta at the end and made that kind of like argument about supporting a copy. Okay, now explain was. that because if it's Rahma, that is still used in the 8th century. So why would that put it into the 7th century? Well, that's just saying it comes from a common archetype. That's right. That's okay. what he's saying. But then I don't have a difficulty with that. The difficulty is when did that archetype exist? You can't use radiocarbon dating is what Shoemaker is saying here. Continuing, he says, therefore, in light of the best interpretation of the data that we have for the earliest Quranic manuscripts, that archetype appears much more likely to be the imperial Quran established imposed by Abdul Malik and Al-Hajjaj. And I listen, Shoemaker makes a really good point. You're going to see why when we actually unpack the radiocarbon dating of the Sana'a manuscript. And that's what we want to do next. We want to go into that because the Sana'a manuscript is by far the most explosive. It's the latest manuscript. It's the most exciting manuscript. It looks like it's the earliest manuscript. But let's see what the radiocarbon dating. Let's apply the radiocarbon test that Van Putin's been applying to every other one, but the Sana'a, he stays away from the right. Sana'a. Why does he stay away from the Sana'a? Primarily because it is the oldest manuscript. Not only that, 
But his very argument also, there is an evidence in other early manuscripts that shatters it as well. But I'm not going to get into that detail. All that to say, if I were to use uh, Shoemaker's own comments, which which is fair, why can't we look at the later date? My uh, uh, other side of it would be, why don't we look at the earlier dates? Why can't we advocate for the earlier dates? Why is that? Well, obviously, because there's a difficulty there and there is a contradiction. We're going to see that. That contradiction comes up. It comes up hugely, mm-hmm. especially if you want to look at the sauna manuscripts. We have a polymcest here. And the polymcest makes it even more exciting because if Van Putin is arguing for an original Ur archetype, then that would be the lower layer of the polymcest. Let's do that. Hold on to it. Let's don't do it right yet. We still want to do with the radiocarbon. We're not finished with that. We'll, we'll, we will eventually go to the two different categories, and then you're going to see the earlier date is even more problematic. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I think everybody can see why this series is going to be explosive, exciting, and at the same time, hopefully academic and educational. And we hope that you can continue to send us your feedback, comments, suggestions, and we will do the best we can to interact with you. Till next time, have a blessed day. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.